Hello and welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, everybody? Uh, today, we I have a great friend. She is actually, uh, I got to know her through friend, my parents' friends uh, way back when, but we haven't really connected until I got to the States. And she is a real badass. Like She is a mom, she is a doctor, and as of not too late, she's also in the social media world in TikTok, uh, rocking it up. How are you doing, Nikki? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. You're you're very. I I I tell everyone who comes on this podcast that it's a great excuse to connect with people that I'm very interested in talking to. So I'm yeah. very happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited. How are you doing? How has it been? You've been a doctor, of literally in the. You can say in the front lines, with all the with everything that goes to COVID. How is it going on there? So, yes, the thing is, I am a pediatrician, like you said. So we've been very fortunate to not have so many sick children. So children are not getting as sick as the adults are. Mm -hmm. um, so I do work in a hospital. I'm a pediatric hospitalist. So I do all inpatient work. And that means doing a variety of things. So I um, see sick children in the inpatient unit, sick children in the emergency room. And then I also see healthy newborns. And um, and then I do a little bit of inpatient pediatric psychiatric unit as well. So I see a lot of different kids. And luckily, COVID has not hit the pediatric world as hard. That doesn't mean that they don't get infected, but they're just not getting sick enough, most of them, mm -hmm. to land themselves in the hospital. There definitely are cases, and I've heard of many, but I haven't had to deal with them myself. Um, I will say that we've had some difficult um, cases with pregnant moms because although I'm not treating the moms, I'm treating their newborns, and we have had some um, very sick you know, pregnant women, unfortunately, two of which the babies I've seen, the moms have passed away. So, oh, no. um, due to COVID, you know, not, yeah. not due to any pregnancy complications. And so, you know, I've seen a little bit of it, but not as much as kind of, you know, my colleagues on the yeah. adult side. Um, but it's tough. It's, it's affecting everybody definitely. And it's been going on for, you know, a year now and, and people are getting very, very tired. I know the fatigue is is crazy, and like this the topic of uh, pregnant mothers, uh, especially pregnant women, I think would be the right way to say. Uh, that's a very hot topic, especially with all the vaccine that it's uh, a little bit in question with the with the vaccine company because the their trials didn't cover that uh, demographic, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, right now it's kind of a case by case basis. So it's something that pretty much we're saying, you know, talk to your OB, talk to your doctor and discuss if you think that, um, you know, it's a, it's a outweighing the risk first benefit. Right. And yeah. I think for the most part, a lot of um, physicians that I've spoken to, they are recommending it to their pregnant patients. Um, I know a lot of pregnant women who have gotten the vaccine. Um at least, you know, you're right. The studies haven't been done yet in the population, but there's nothing <clears throat> to really suggest that there would be something harmful to the fetus. Um, so with respect to risk first benefit, especially if you are someone who works in the medical field or you're somebody who, you know, may be at high risk for exposure, they're really recommending that you, you know, highly consider it. 
Um, and that's the same case for breastfeeding women. Um, and that's actually something personal to me. So I have a newborn and I am breastfeeding and I had to think about it. You know, it's not studied in that population, but, um, with everything going on and everything I've seen, I think I made that decision for myself to, to get the vaccine. I mean, like, I'll, um, there, I, I want to ask because you are a doctor and just like you said, your mother and just how how did you make this uh this decision what were your factors if i may ask uh about going uh, into something that doesn't have uh, a um, solid answer yeah that's a great question because i'm really all about evidence-based medicine so everything that i share you know i make sure that the research is out there to support it um Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key with everything going on, kind of with everything that's been going on this year, you hear a lot of people spreading information, this medication works and this one doesn't and this one, you know, and you really need to follow the evidence as much as you can, not kind of use stories, people's, you know, one case that they saw. Um, But at a time like this, where we just don't have enough time yet to study all of everything that we need, we have to make some of those decisions. Um. Uh, without all the information that we want. And so in this case, I looked to the experts. So I was listening to what the experts were saying about the vaccine, why they don't think it should really have an effect on breastfeeding. Sure, we can't say 100%, but using kind of the science and the knowledge and the data that a lot smarter people, more you know, smarter people <laughs> than me know um, when they're telling me that they think most likely it's safe. When I've, um, I actually am a part of a Facebook group of all breastfeeding fe- uh, women physicians Mm -hmm. And so there's a ton of discussion on there. And I was able to see a ton of women who got the vaccine and started breastfeeding immediately after. And so, you know, getting some comfort in that. Um, So I think, you know, that's what it is. You talk to the people who you feel are experts, who you feel know the information as much as we can. And then you make that decision um, based on, you know, the information that you have. Yeah, I you touched on something like you, you follow people you trust and there are other people who uh, like there are people who other people trust that they are not doing a good job at at providing a good information, which creates also I, I don't know how what's how is it like in the states, but here at least uh, on the visible part on the social media, uh, people going back and forth between uh, it, it's a good vaccine, it's a bad vaccine, people shouldn't vaccinate not shouldn't should not vaccinate people really uh i don't know what happened throughout the the progress of time progress of our our society that people are really up in arms about uh doing something like that you know like yeah and and I mean, you know, I think there are two different topics if we're talking about the general vaccines that we've had for years and years yeah. that we're vaccinating children with. That's a whole nother topic. And then no, this 100%. new vaccine. Yeah. And if we're talking about specifically the COVID vaccine, you know, I always tell people I completely understand the concern, the fear that it's new. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody's worried. We don't have all of the data. But, um, you know, you have some really amazing people working on these vaccines. And the main thing I think that people don't understand is they feel that the vaccine was rushed, right? It's rushed. There's no vaccine that comes out this quickly. But a lot of that has to do with not because the vaccine can't be processed and and completed in that amount of time, but it has to do with all the red tape around it, right? How to get all this stuff, how to get the funding um, in a regular situation. 
So in this case where everything was pushed forward very quickly because of the pandemic, um, they were able to get the vaccine out. It doesn't mean they missed any steps. They didn't skip anything, you know, and so um, that gives me comfort. And then again, just talking to the ex experts and seeing that the experts are getting the vaccine, you know, all of that is very reassuring. And I think it's it's very hard for people to not see, even for myself, to not see a title, right? Something pops up online. This one person died <laughs> 10 minutes after the vaccine, yeah. right? And you make this association, but you really need to think and you really need to go to the you know, accurate sources to get the right information. Because when a ton of people are getting the vaccine, one person may end up dying just naturally, not because of the vaccine, right? Yeah. Maybe someone had a heart attack. That might have happened before if they didn't get the vaccine too. So there's just so much that goes to it. And I think that, um, you know, you need to look to the right sources to get yeah. the information. People definitely should need to do their due diligence a little bit better in the time where there is so much they bombarded with clickbaits. Yeah, but but let's put this like very hot potato aside. I want like I would like to know how did you even get into this world of medicine? How, what I, I mean, we both know where our roots are, and we both mm -hmm. Russian from uh, the Soviet Union, and our parents grew up together. Where you had literally two choices: whether you were a doctor or an engineer. <laughs> uh, but how? What was it like for you? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, we have a lot of family members that are in the medical field. So I feel like I was always surrounded by it. Um, but also just that view of, right, you have to do something that you're going to be able to provide for yourself. And, you know, this is a respected field and all these things. And when I was, I remember as a kid, I was like, you know, I'm not thinking about that. Stop trying to push me into things. <laughs> Maybe I want to do something else. And so, you know, I always had that in the background, but then kind of as I was going through school, I, I continuously thought about it. And I was like, I really can't see myself doing anything else. Like I really am interested. I love the sciences. Um, I love the idea, you know, this general, like I love the idea of helping people, which obviously you can do in a lot of different fields, yeah. but, um, but kind of that combination of liking the sciences, wanting to help people, wanting to help people when they're kind of in their most vulnerable state, um, things like that sort of pushed me towards medicine in general. And then I wasn't sure exactly what area of medicine I was going to go into. I had a strong interest in psychology in general, just in the human behavior. I majored in psychology in college um, as I was doing my pre-med, you know, yeah. requisites for medical school. And so I was like, so maybe I'll be a psychiatrist. But then I realized, you know, it's very different um, psychiatry and just psychology. And then in medical school, I realized, you know, I love kids. I worked with kids my whole my whole life um, before, you know, I babysat. I had a little sister who I helped raise and I just started to look into pediatrics. And the second I did my pediatric rotation, I fell in love with it. And I knew that I wasn't there was no going back. <laughs> so, yeah, because. You know, there are some people who who are like the the image that gets around that parents just waiting to send off their kids and they like, yes, we have some quiet time and and uh, some 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 space, I, even though 100 percent they love them and they they adore them. But still, like the 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 popular uh, the consensus is that you kids are good for just the X amount of time. But you are, but you are dealing with kids throughout like almost 24 hours aside of basically almost without sleep, like 
outside of sleep. So you're how do you how do you find the the passion to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think the kids themselves make it easy to do that. And you know, obviously I have my own kids and yeah. it's a lot. I'm not going to lie. So right now I'm on, I'm on maternity leave. I'm going back in a couple of weeks. So I've been on maternity leave for almost three months. So I'm home all day, every mm -hmm. day with my two kids and it's a lot. And sometimes it's more work for me at home than it is when I'm at work. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's a lot of energy all day, every day, but they're, they're just, they're so great. They're so much fun. And they just have this like different view of life, right. Than adults do. And it's the same in the, the medicine side of it in mm -hmm. pediatrics. So the reason why I love it so much is in, if you look at kind of how an adult is versus a kid when they're sick, it's very different, right? Yeah. So when adult is sick, all of us, like myself included, I'm like, oh, I'm done for the day. I need to rest. I need this. Like, and kids, they're like, I just want to feel better. Right. And they like, <laughs> all they want to do is feel better. You can see them one minute and they're like down on the couch. They don't feel good. You give them Tylenol and they're running around like a mad person, you know? <laughs> so I think that that was a big difference for me. I love that about them. And, um, another, you know, big difference for me and why I chose pediatrics is because it's a lot of preventative medicine, right? Mm -hmm. So adults, oftentimes they have a lot of like, when you, when you do internal medicine, you work with adults who have a lot of conditions that, um, are now chronic and long-term and yeah. can't necessarily take them back. You can try to keep them, you know, at bay and not yeah. get worse, but adults are kind of set in their way a lot of times. So you try your best to help them with kids. You're trying to prevent all of that, right? You're trying to prevent them from getting diabetes. You're trying to prevent them from, you know, all these different things. And I think the earlier you can get to them, if they have, you know, a good kind of medical figure to help them along with the family, of course, family's their number mm -hmm. one, but you know, I think it's, it's so nice to be able to get to them early on and try to prevent those things yeah like with the advancements in technology it's it's really you, we can really make uh, a lot of progress and a lot of uh make a difference in in a kid's life uh, yeah. but what is what are some insights that you get because the way they use people used to treat kids well it was a more of a tough love but now the model is kind of a little bit changing and I see your your uh, your post around on on social media. So how how do you see this change happening? Yeah, so I think there's been a lot more kind of research done in the sort of behavioral health field about parenting and how kids do better with what type of parenting. So it seems to be that kind of gentle parenting is maybe a more effective approach um, than that fear-based parenting. Mm -hmm. So taking away, you know, a lot of that punishment and fear-based kind of stuff and going more towards the, you know, empathy and trying to understand our emotions. And the way that you can kind of look at it is just look at yourself as an adult, right? We have emotions, we have feelings. And sometimes we may even understand, you know, why am I feeling so angry in this little, in this situation that maybe somebody else wouldn't feel so angry. We're all different, right? And that's the same thing with our kids. And so when our kids, even at a young age, like toddlers, they start throwing tantrums, right? Yeah. There's this um, thought back in the day that you should just ignore it. Ignore the tantrum. It's going to stop if you ignore it. If you pay attention to it, it's going to increase. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily true because that's really only the case if that behavior is specifically attention-seeking 
which most of the time it's not. There's usually a reason, 99% of the time, there's a true reason behind a tantrum, right? And you may think as an adult, it's so silly, right? They lost a toy, they dropped their ice cream, you know, but to them, it's the biggest thing in the world at the moment. So yeah. it's, it's helping them through their emotions, helping them learn what they're feeling, telling them it's okay to feel sad, it's okay to feel angry, but let's figure out how we can um, you know, navigate those emotions and what's kind of the appropriate way to respond to it. Um, so there's just a lot of different ways now that I think um, we can parent to help our kids kind of grow into these adults that we want them to be able to navigate their emotions and navigate the world around them in a better way. That's a, um, well, I mean, that's a perfect, I would say a perfect answer, but I would say the, the, I think the, the problem is the, I would say I'll talk just for me and my generation as we just discovering that we have feelings in the sense that we, we need to, we need to figure out our feelings. And more than that, we need to be able to communicate and be able to have the patience to ask kids who are not as elaborate with words as we are, as the adults to to say, okay, what is going on? What is happening? Where is this coming from? So how, what would you, what would be your f tips for, for making through, making, making it out in this, <laughs> in this yeah. chaos? So I think that the earlier you start, the better. And I think you're right. There's been sort of years of this, you know, hiding your emotions, right? You shouldn't feel this way, you know, like, don't be sad. Don't be angry. There's a lot of that kind of talk. Right. And you'll hear parents say like, why are you crying over this? Stop crying and things like that. When really, if you look at it, if you just think to yourself and think about the situations that maybe you've cried in and you're, I want to just put it out there that everybody's feelings and emotions are valid. It doesn't matter, you know, what it's about. If you're feeling that way, that's your feeling and that's fine. And I think we have to get comfortable with that. We have to get comfortable with knowing that, you know, yeah, I feel this like jealousy or I feel this, whatever it may be. That's not wrong. It's just your feeling in that moment in time. And now it's what you do with that emotion. It's what you do with that feeling that, you know, you want to really figure out. And that's what you want to instill in your kids. So from a very young age, even before you think that they may understand one year old, 18 month old, hmm. you know, start there when your kid is screaming and crying at the top of their lungs. Sure. Sometimes you want to give them some time to cool down. That doesn't mean ignoring them, but you can kind of sit with them and say, I see that you're upset. Sometimes it may feel silly because you're like, this is a little kid screaming at the top of their lungs. They may not understand you, but they do. And they will with, with repetition. So you say, I see that you're upset. I see that you're angry. When you have a minute to, to cool down, we'll talk about it. Give them some time, check in. And some kids may want you to hug them. Some kids may not. My daughter, after I started doing this, she's two and a half now. The second she gets angry, she comes to me, she goes, I want a hug. She just tells me that. And she sits with me and we talk about how she's feeling. But it wasn't like that from day one. It was, you know, I started that when she was about 15 months old. Yeah. And it takes time. And that's the key to, I think, parents need to know, don't expect anything to work from the first time, from the second or third time. This is a long-term process that you do to, to kind of start this foundation for the future. But it's amazing. You'll see your kids change and you'll see your kids develop these ways of, of handling situations at such a young age that you won't even believe it. I, I still get shocked when my two and a half year old comes up to me and says, I'm feeling sad. Can we talk about it? She says that to me in those words. That's incredible. How did you even, how did you, 
uh, how did you got into this process? Like, where did you learn that? And how, how are you practicing of, I would say, staying balanced in front of your kids? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it's interesting because that's something that they really don't teach you in medical school. The behavioral health stuff. They don't you teach you that anywhere. Right. You don't in residency. You get a little bit of it, but it's definitely not the main part of your you know, training. But it is a big part of what parents come to you for. Right. So in the yeah. office, the parents will be like, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this? And I'd be like, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's a tough one. Right. But um, I'll be honest, I learned a lot of it from other people on social media. And people who I just started watching their stuff, I'm like, huh, this really makes sense. I really like this approach. And I'll be honest, even in the beginning of my parenting, there were times where there, my daughter had a tantrum and I was like, okay, I need to ignore this, right? And then once she stops, then I need to reinforce it. It was very short lived and I was fortunate to start kind of seeing this stuff online. And then I started following it. And, you know, there's a whole lot of books out there and things too. And I need to look into kind of what the best one is to, to, recommend. I don't want to recommend anything right now, but, um, there is a lot of information out there. If you look up gentle parenting, mm -hmm. um, positive parenting approach, like just Google that and you'll find a lot of information on it. Um, so I kind of accidentally stumbled upon it and had a little bit of it in residency. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's how I got into it with terms, with respect to how to balance it. I want to be perfectly honest. I'm not going to say I do this a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I have my moments. If I have a bad day, I may, you know, react in a way that is not that I feel is not okay, that I don't think is beneficial to my child or to me. But and that's okay. We all have those moments. And that's another thing that I think is so important for parents to know. If you, you know, quote, mess up or do something that you feel is not the best, that's not that doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It's the same thing as your kid. When your kid does something that you think is wrong. That doesn't make them a bad kid. And we need to steer away from these labels of bad and good uh, parenting and kids. Um, so if you make a mistake, you just, you admit it to yourself and admit it to your kid. I think that's what's important too. You want to teach your kid that even as an adult, it's okay. You can say sorry to your child. I'm sorry I reacted that way. I was a little bit angry, you know, things like that. Um, everything your kids learn is really through modeling and seeing it in you. So when they see that you're capable of doing that, they see that it's okay when they make a mistake, sometimes they'll get through it. They'll learn from it. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of how, how I got into things and how I try to. So basically manage. just like owning up your emotions in front of your kids so they could learn by example. Now I'm yeah. going to ask because you, uh, you have, you have uh, the insight because you work in this field and you work in this territory of kids all the time. So you're training around it and you're learning about it. What would you say to people who are in the day-to-day -day grind and they have to, you know, they work from, from dusk to dawn and that's not, a, I would say it's not there. They're not exposed to it. So how, how would, how would you think to to spread this knowledge forward to so it's, it will affect it will benefit the future generation yeah i mean you know luckily social media is a big thing right now and there's a lot of good and a lot of bad in it i'm not going to lie there's definitely a bad side to social media but there's also a great side to social media and most i would say 
a large portion of parents even have some account, right? Whether yeah. it's Facebook or Instagram, um, just start searching, right? There's, there are, there are ways to kind of have these like quick facts thrown out at you. That's how I started out. Um, I saw kind of these quick little things that said, especially with TikTok, it's a one minute video. You can't have more than a one minute video, right? So some people put a 30 second video out there and it gives you all this information about parenting. And, um, you know, it's a lot easier than sitting down and reading a whole book front to back about a certain parenting approach. So that's what I would say right now for parents who are trying to kind of find the best approach in parenting their kid, but they're very busy, which most parents are. Um, and just not being hard on yourself. Like I said, it's okay. If you're not doing everything perfect, it's okay to cut corners. It's okay to give your kids screen time. (laughs) Like, you know, people make screen time out to be this terrible thing. Um, TVs, iPads, they're okay. Right. With certain limits. Um, so, so realizing all of that and, most importantly, love your kids, respect your kids and empathize with your kids. And that will really get you really far and try to build a connection with your kids. You'll see kind of, you know, a big difference. And you don't even have to use all these specific approaches and techniques by just having those things in mind at the core of your parenting. Yeah, I feel I feel like building a connection is one of the hardest skills you can you can acquire in life. It's an acquirable skill. Some people are better in it than others. But but I would say that as a, as a whole, we that's one thing that we really need to work on, especially right now. That's a very big emphasis on on uh, losing connection, losing touch with people, figuratively yeah. and literally. Yeah. So it's a great opportunity to start working on that. Yeah, definitely. Just asking your kids about their interests, what they like to do, you know, spending, even if you have very little time, try to make time maybe once a day just to play one game with your child, you know, something that they want to do. Because I think a lot of times we get used to the kind of hustle and bustle of life and just being like, okay, now it's time for dinner. Okay, now it's time for nap. Now it's time for this bath. And we forget to just play and enjoy life. And that's hard when we're really busy. And it's hard during a pandemic and, you know, everything that's going on. Um, But being mindful, I think, is the most important thing, because if you're mindful, then you can kind of just remember, okay, you know what, yesterday I did all these things. I did the laundry, I did this, everything. And maybe today there's still more to do, but maybe today I can take a break and just play with my kid. And then tomorrow I'll do these things. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm not a parent and I, I don't have any, any, uh, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't, it's not foreseeable in my future, but, uh, it's definitely from, from, from looking around and, and observing, uh, it's one of the best investments you can do when you put the time, when people talk about investing, especially with the, with the, the conversation right now about wall street and everything, but just <laughs> the whole point of, of when you invest your time in your kids, like really giving to them, it's, uh, I think it will go a long way. Yeah. For both, for, yeah. for the child and for the parent. Um, here's, I, I'm really interested because we, share a kind of the same background where i mean how and that's and that's something that you just said about playing with the kids and asking kids what they're interested about uh how do you stay away from judgment because when for example i would say talking to the previous generation 
if you would say certain like certain things like i'm interested in a b and c but they on they don't let you talk about it and just want to hear you about like d and f and now and we we understand that our judgment has an effect on the kids so how do we deal with this with our prejudices so the kids won't feel it yeah so i think um you know i always try to put myself in the child's shoes in any situation and that makes one of them right so i would say imagine yourself you have an interest in something and you're talking to someone about it and you just spent 10, 15 minutes explaining it. And then someone says to you, well, you know, I think that's kind of silly. I don't think that that's really a good idea or whatever. I mean, that's hurtful, right? Because that is obviously something you're interested in. Now, I understand the whole concept of our kids. You want to make sure that they, you know, are able to provide for themselves and they make a good living and things like that. But at the end of the day, at least for me, I want to make sure my kids are happy because with everything that I see, and I mm -hmm. see a lot of teenagers who are depressed, a lot of teenagers who, especially on this inpatient psych unit that I work on as well, um, who are just always sad. And when you talk to them, they tell me a lot about their family situation. And they tell me, my parents don't listen to me. My parents don't care about what I want, my, you know, things like that. And so I think there's a fine line of showing interest in what your kid is interested in and also helping them guide them to make sure they have a good plan going forward. So what I would say, for example, I'll give you an example of my sister who's actually going to be 17 in a few days. Um, so you know, I'm 14 years older than her. So I kind of almost raised her in a way with my parents. And we talk about a lot of things and she loves theater. It's her passion. Mm -hmm. She loves it. She acts. Um, and her dream is to be on Broadway. And I would never take that away from her. And I always say to her, I think you need to follow this. You need to do this. You want to go to school and major in theater? Great. Do it. But make sure you have a backup plan. Because if you are going into something that is a little bit more difficult, right, that's harder to get into, harder to be successful yeah. in, just make sure you have a backup plan. That doesn't mean don't follow your dream. But, you know, and I think when you talk to your kids like that with anything, whether they're young and you're talking about, you know, sports that they're playing or whatever it is, you know, showing them that you respect their interests and you're happy for them to continue it, but just make sure that you keep these other things in mind. You respect them and they'll respect you, you know? And, and that's kind of how I feel it is with, with everything that you talk to your kids about. If you show them respect about what they care about, they'll show that respect back to you. Yeah. I think I personally think that, well, that's just me, but the thing with the backup plan, like I believe in going full force forward and mm -hmm. uh, just, if you have something you're really you're really passionate about, put all your energy into it, because if you start thinking about your backup plan all the time, then your your energy and your mind won't be there all the time. So you're you might not get every like you might not get to that that point that you want. So mm -hmm. I feel I feel it would be better to instill tools to survive any situation to make through, while it's like not thinking about, oh, what do I do if I fail? Just rather think, okay, I'm going to succeed. And I'll if I fail, I'll deal with it because I have the tools. And I think that's another great way to look at it. I, there are some parents who, you know, would have a very hard time with that. So I think like I'm trying to look at sort of the compromise side of it, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, 
don't do that. You're never going to make it in this field. You're never going to make it go do something like this. At least you can say, you know, fine. I think this is great. I think you can continue on this journey, but you know, maybe think just in case what else you can do. So that's like for, for those kind of parents. Right. But of course you'll have people who feel very comfortable saying, you know what, hundred percent follow your dream, do whatever it takes. And I think that's great too. You know, whether it means that in the meantime, you need to kind of work to save up money too. you know, there's different ways to go about things just because we live in the kind of society that we live in, that we have to make money to survive. But, um, but yeah, there's different approaches. And I, I, I think I'm trying to go more towards those parents who kind of have that very firm stance in one direction and try to help them compromise a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, how is it like for you to be in front of the camera now when uh when you post your tiktoks because it wasn't used to be a common thing when doctors doctors used to be camera shy for 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 some time you know you didn't see them or you see like the hospital managers coming out for an interview but they weren't in the public eye but now you have a lot of different doctors coming out and and you are one of them so how does it feel for you Yeah. Well, it's very interesting. It's funny that you asked because I'm actually the type of person who hates being on camera. I don't like any kind of attention on me in any situation. Um, and I kind of got into this completely by on accident. Um, I went on TikTok for just to watch what my sister was doing. You know, the young kids, they're just doing their dances and this and that. And I just was following her to see. And then one day at work, I had a slow day and I made a silly video and then a few people followed me. I started making a couple more and I started to have fun with it. But not only that, I just realized what a large population of people I could reach with information, with good information, with evidence-based information. And there was, especially, you know, on TikTok, I was able to reach um, a teenage population and then the parent population. Those were kind of the two that, that, that kept following me. And, you know, now on TikTok, I have over 230,000 followers. And that's incredible. It's unreal. And I'm putting this information that I feel so passionate about that I don't get to share with that many people because on the, you know, I'm a hospitalist. So I do inpatient work. I don't get to do a lot of that anticipatory guidance and talking about what to expect at this age and, you know, things like that, because it's just not part of my work currently. Mm -hmm. But in this way, I get to do that. And also with the teenage population, you know, like I said, a lot of them are suffering from depression and anxiety. And especially with the pandemic right now, it's just worse. And so I'm talking a lot about that, you know, just that these things are out there. Be mindful, telling parents, be mindful of these things. Um, And people seem to really be appreciative of it. And I'm just glad that I'm able to provide that to so many people. Well, that's amazing because just I think there should be more people like that who who uh, take that leap to 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 step out of their comfort zone. But the return is so much for everyone is so much it's so much bigger because they people that your audience get uh, get a evidence, like you said, evidence based information in a very uh, in a very chewable bite yeah. like in small bites in a very understandable way because it, it, it didn't it didn't used to be this way 
and you get yeah. to try something new to engage with other people and get increase their their awareness so right. and I have to tell you, I, you know, I thought at first I was doing this for other people. And then I realized how much it did for me. Like my confidence level went up significantly because I, like I said, I hated being on camera. I hated being in the public eye and things like that. And now, and I hated public speaking. I would <laughs> never go up and speak in front of a group of people. I would avoid it at all costs. <laughs> um, I would never do something like this, a podcast, because <laughs> um, I would just be too anxious. That was always my personality. And then after this, I've opened myself up to doing more things like that, which has made me feel more confident and able to continue it, which has been really awesome for me. Do you, do you think you would continue it if you wouldn't have as much following? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, so I'm now kind of putting myself out there on Instagram and YouTube also. And I think it's a lot harder there to get a following. And also the tools are different there. So yeah. TikTok makes it kind of easy, right? You put out really short, quick videos and they have these sounds that are already started for you. And so it takes a lot more work, um, to do the Instagram and YouTube side and trying to get followers, followers there. But I realized, you know, there, there was a part of me at some point where I was like, Oh, how do I get more followers? How do I get more followers? But at the end of the day, if I have a hundred followers here, you know, 500 followers here, that's a hundred people that are listening and getting information that they didn't have before every message. I read almost every message that I get and I get a lot and I can't answer all of them, but I try as much as I can. When I get one person who tells me you helped me so much by putting this information out there, I'm like, this is amazing. One person that, you know, so it doesn't matter how many people follow you. If it's five people or 30 people, if people are listening to you and they, they are changing their lives based on what you're saying, you're making a difference. I mean, that's, that's a very important note to hit for, for a lot of people. And I hope this this episode will get to a lot of young people and also in every person who starts their work their their take their first steps in social media because it's very hard to drown in despair when you see big creators with a massive followers and i don't know other people who have not like it even tens of thousands of followers but like you said to appreciate every single one in the in a way and look Take everyone, like put the, I would say put the bar low, set the bar low because, because you, you won't get, not, you won't get disappointed, but also you will appreciate more other people who are part of it. And also the, I think even more important thing that you said is to do something that really speaks to you. Like really, you're really passionate about that you would do, even if they wouldn't you won't be on this platform that platform because mm -hmm. then it's genuine it's authentic and it shows and i think yeah. that that's what really brings you the the audience and brings you the 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 eyeballs that you are very authentic you put it because you don't have to because you want to and because you do it with such passion and energy that people are drawn into it and yeah. that's I, i'm just like applaud you to this and uh i'm just keeping my fingers crossed Thank i really you. hope you know i really hope i sent you a while ago a video about about a different doctor who is really a rock star in the social media and mm -hmm. he does also he does very informative evidence-based videos and i was like oh that's cool i hope really to see you guys collaborating because that would yeah. be amazing yeah 
Yeah. And I think it's really important. And this is not just for, you know, creators on social media, but just, you know, those who just are on social media for just, you know, fun and posting pictures of just pictures of themselves, especially teenagers. This is going to go more towards the teenage population. But, you know, I think a lot of people post whatever it is that they want to post and then they wait and they wait to see how many people like it, how many people like it. And that can really mess with your mental health. And there's been a lot of information out there and studies done about teenagers and the effects of social media. And that plays a big part in it. Um, and, and it, it got to me too, like as a creator, you know, when I make one video that gets thousands and thousands of likes, I'm like, okay, great. And then I make another video that I really enjoyed making and I think is really helpful, but it doesn't get as many likes. I'm like, well, well, why? Like, why aren't people liking? Why isn't TikTok pushing it out there? So more more people see it and you get into this kind of thought process. And then again, it's about being mindful and bringing yourself back and saying, listen, you know, social media is the way that it is. We don't know how things work. We don't know how algorithms work. At the end of the day, one person sees your video, a hundred people see your video. One person likes that video. You made a difference for that person, you know? And so keeping that in mind and not getting obsessed with the numbers of everything. Yeah, numbers definitely aren't everything and I can recommend you another creator to watch his his material uh and to everyone else his name is Matt Diavilla who really mm-hmm. has a has a his latest videos are specifically touching about this subject how mm-hmm. to get over this anxiousness of of numbers yeah um one thing that really stood out to me when I was in the states and I was kind of looking at being part of the culture and living living a living and experiencing the the life there is people are more especially kids and i saw that also in a summer camp kids and uh, uh, adolescents are more likely to get prescribed medicine with to men to their emotional issues i don't see it happening like uh, compared to here to israel where it's not happening that often but it seems that in the U.S., there it's a it's a more common practice. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this? So yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know in terms of like the research that's been done. I don't know if we have a, happen to have a higher rate of kids with mental health issues. Um, oh, but... I didn't mean mental health issues. I'm saying just uh, just from the emotional this like something that is not a mental health, but it's more like an emotional distress like a, a simple thing that people don't pay attention as much or they're very upset or like the the trigger the trigger finger on the medication at least mm-hmm. in my opinion is very easy yeah so i think this is probably very provider dependent so it would be hard for me to speak for everybody but for me personally i medication is my last resort it always is but I'm not, I'm going to keep it in my back pocket. So I think it can go both ways. Some people are very resistant to starting anything, even when we know that this child needs it and that it would be helpful. So for a child with true ADHD, um, you know, needing that medication and, and really seeing a difference that it makes is important, but it's also important to not assume that every child who is hyper has ADHD. Mm-hmm. So making sure that there is good screening and evaluation before starting a medication is important. And I think all of that is very provider dependent. Some are probably 
more eager to start a medicine to make a parent happy. If the parent's like, I just want to start something. I want to try something. That's not my practice. And I do a lot of, um, I talk a lot about sort of behavioral, um, intervention first. So whether that's therapy, if it's needed, um, and things like that, I, I highly recommend those things before starting any medication. And specifically, again, you know, right now I'm only doing inpatient. So a lot of this doesn't apply to me at the moment, but, um, but specifically even like kids with who are, have a sad mood or even potentially clinically depressed, I think they need a full evaluation. So I send them first to therapy. They may then send them to see psychiatry. And at that point they may get, you know, their medication, but there's definitely kids who need it. And then there's definitely kids who get put on something that maybe could have just benefited from someone to talk to. Yeah. I mean, like you said in the beginning, you, you help to prevent a lot of things who like at least working with kids help to prevent a lot of things that later manifest as an adult and from, uh, living in a, in a dorm, in a college and being in this college environment, at least I experienced a People who are very eager to, as soon as they have an, an exam, as soon as they have, I don't know how, how was your college experience, but from as soon as there is like a, a major overnighter or whatever, they pop some Adderall and their go-to, even unprescribed. I saw a lot of that. Yeah. People who just like, people who just decide, okay, I, I need to focus. Let me take bottle, a couple of pills. And, and it was very common practice so i'm saying is there maybe there's a way to 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 address those issues when the kids how you say better parenting and and you really touch up on those things and i would like to see like i would like to hear your opinion as a a pediatrician if there is there a way to avoid giving pills i know that there is effective pills but is there a way to avoid them so kids would not grow up into this culture of pill taking yeah. So that's very different. And I agree. I saw a lot of that too, especially being in, you know, going into the medical field, being in medical school, I've seen a lot of that myself. Um, and it's hard. And I agree. I think that trying to instill certain things as a child can help prevent that. Um, I don't want to say that every child who gets medication doesn't need it. Cause there are some kids who need it and there's some definitely, adults who need definitely. it, but yes, the adult, you know, people who are already in college, adults who have never been diagnosed with ADHD and just are taking that pill to kind of pull an all-nighter is is not the best approach. <laughs> um, so, you know, the best thing that I could say is probably as a kid, well, when you're a parent and you have your kids instilling in them, you know, let's find the best approach for you in terms of learning, in terms of studying. And that's another big thing. So like if your kid happens to not do well on a test, punishing them, shaming them, none of that is going to help them on their next test. It's just going to make them feel worse. Um, so talking to them, cause they're probably upset already talking to them about, you know, what went wrong, what can we do to make it better? Is there a studying, you know, technique that maybe we haven't figured out yet that works better for you. And every kid works differently in terms of, you know, what helps them set for studying. So yeah, I think doing that very early on, because a lot of that kind of behavior 
if you kind of punish for doing poorly, that may push them to be like, okay, well, I need to do really well. So now what can I do to pull an all nighter? What can I do to, you know, make my grades go up instead of using healthy approaches, they're going to use some of these other kind of quick things that maybe, you know, would help in the short term, but can be very, you know, bad for the long very yeah and i feel like right now people are more opening up slowly to yoga meditation mindfulness practicing and basically to more healthy living but i just have this this burning image in my head as a camp counselor when i used to take a bunch of kids uh to their nursery and they were line up and get their medication that their parents gave them and I was shocked, like every night and that was, there was like a line of 20 kids and all of them, when the parents would drop them off, they would give them, they would give the nurse a, a, a Ziploc bag, those large Ziploc bags full of medication that the nurse had to figure out by the day of the week and then prepare for those kids. And my, I was like, I was, I was really shocked to see that, that kids would take pills from that age. I don't think I ever took a pill before I was I would say 10, 12 years old. Yeah. You know, it was a hype. It was a hype as a kid because you're like, oh my God, I'm an adult. Like, and you (laughs) always get the syrup and you're like, no, I don't want the syrup. I want the pill. But that's a messed up thinking. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I agree. There's, there's probably a lot of medications that are prescribed that may not need to be prescribed. And I think it's a combination of parent and provider because sometimes as providers, you, you know, maybe feel forced a little bit with the parent being like, I can't, you know, I can't handle my kid. I can't handle this, this situation. Like, I really think that they need this. And you know, you don't want to lose that patient or that family from your practice. And so you try to go based on what the parent is telling you. Um, I, I personally feel very strongly about encouraging families to look for different approaches initially. Again, if I get a good, good history of ADHD and I have them fill out the form for ADHD, we have a parent fill out a form and we give the form to a teacher to fill out. So it has to have, you know, there's two forms based on the parent and the teacher. And, you know, based on that, we figure it out. But um, I very strongly recommend trying behavioral approaches before trying medication. But that's not the case for everyone. And again, it's, you know, parent provider combination, I think. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a lot of things. And also, I know you're in a you're a little bit of a time constraint, but also don't run away straight after we finish the recording. it doesn't mean that we we can't we can't continue for a little bit. Uh, so I'm just gonna segue into the the last bit, like the one before, okay. which is the questionnaire. It's a very cool questionnaire that I saw on a TV show a while back called Actor Studio, where the host really interviewed everyone else, everyone in the industry, all the major producers and the actors. Uh, the, his name was James Lipton. He took this from another host. So now it's my opportunity to do it. So I'll go for with a very easy one at first. What is your favorite word? My favorite word? Yes. Um, okay, kindness. Oh, nice. What is your least favorite word? Hmm. I would say I'm gonna just say hate. All right. What turns you on? um oh gosh i have a lot of similarities here um 
respect, love. All right. Uh, what turns you off? Mm. Oh my gosh, all my answers are going to be the same. Okay. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I got to think about this one. What, Just, come, what comes out? Like, what's the second one? doesn't like it's it's yours there's no pressure here yeah i mean it's the same just you know just overall just hate and anger i get it <laughs> what sound and noise do you love sound and noise i love the sound of rain and thunder you get a lot of it lately in the <laughs> sometimes yeah um what sound or noise do you hate any sound like like uh chewing like with the mouth open and, um, <laughs> there's a word for it and i don't remember I know. it <laughs> I, I don't remember the name but i i it makes me cringe <laughs> i i feel you my grandma would you would would smack me on my head if i'd do that <laughs> uh what is your favorite curse word um hmm. can i say it obviously fuck <laughs> I mean, I feel it encapsulates a lot. Yeah, I mean, and it's and I got to keep it in in front of the kids. So, oh, definitely. You know. <laughs> I feel like I'm happy that you get it out of your chest here in this on this platform. <laughs> um, what is what is another profession you'd like to attempt, other than your own? Another profession, okay. Um, well, I guess. I would be a psychologist if I wasn't a doctor, a physician, a pediatrician. All right. That's uh, that's cool. What profession you wouldn't like to attempt? Uh, probably a chef because I'd probably just poison a bunch of people because I can't cook <laughs> for my life. <laughs> I mean, it would be funny to sign you off for an Iron Chef or a Master Chef and just see how you go. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that, would be, that would be funny for people to watch. Um, and... The last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, I think I would like God to say to me that, that I don't want to say he, cause we don't know God. Okay. They, I'm going to call them. They, um, are proud of me for the kindness that I put out into the world and, um, just, how I lived my life trying to make people happy and make the world a little bit of a better place. That's a, I feel that's an awesome answer. And uh, with that, Nikki, the stage is yours to let the people know when they can find you and uh, your endeavors on the social media. Perfect. So yeah, so I am on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, but um, most of my stuff right now is on TikTok and my username on all the platforms is Nikki.MamaMD, which is N-I-K-Y dot M-A-M-A-M-D. And I put a lot of different information out there on, you know, kid health, parenting, teen mental health and physical health, and then just going into the medical field for those of you who are interested. So that's where you can find me. Guys, I really recommend, I, I don't have TikTok, like I said before, but from, from the bits and pieces that I watch, they're very educational. And even though I'm not a parent, it's still, it's and something that I would be, and I will be one day. It's very, uh, makes this whole uh, phase very accessible and less fearful. So I highly recommend to check it out. 
and uh, all the links would be in the description of this episode. So I highly recommend you to do that. And Nikki, thank you so much for joining on this podcast. I truly enjoy it and it's very insightful. I hope you had a great time as well. I did. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. So guys, thank you so much for listening. I really help, uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Leave a comment on reach out to on, social, on my social media. Let me know how it was. And until then, have a beautiful day.